All right. I had Joey turn on the air. It was warm in here. Well, good morning again. Did you get the air, Joe? Not yet? Well, good morning again. Good morning to our online viewers. I want to give a special shout out to Marcia Smith, who had hip surgery, and uh, Court and Jill Stewart. Court had back surgery on Thursday, and they're watching online. And so I thought, I'm just going to say hi to you guys. So hi, you guys. Been praying for you guys. And uh, hello. So um, so we're in uh, Luke chapter 11 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 33 through 36. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one for you so you can follow along with us. Luke eleven thirty three through 36. So here's the deal. We're going to all stand. And we're going to read it together. But here I found out what the problem is. Everybody has different versions of the Bible. And so look on the screens. That way we can all, unless you have a New King James Version, look on the screen and let's all stay together with, with, uh, with that. I'll, I'll move over. How's that? I don't understand. I'll read the odd numbers. You guys read the even numbers. Are we ready? Okay. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather together and to hear from you this morning. We pray, Father, if there's anyone here or anyone watching online that doesn't have that personal relationship with you, that they don't have their sin forgiven, Lord, would you especially touch their heart, help them to see their need for you, and to cry out to you today. Bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Tell my message this morning is be the light. We know today is Super Bowl Sunday, and I'm not going to say what team I'm rooting for. You know, I'll let you guys figure that one out uh, for yourselves. But uh, for those of you that, that are not in the football, there's two teams that are playing, the 49ers and the Chiefs. And, and, uh, and so uh, uh, you guys, I don't really care. <laughs> Someone sent this to me last year. It says, you should be excited about church as you are about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a good point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. (laughs) I'm really okay if you don't do that. A simple amen here and there is good for me. (laughs) No Gatorade, right? 
Well, this morning we're going to look at what it means to be the light. And if you're taking notes, we have three points this morning. Number one, the light of Jesus. Number two, the light in us. And number three, the light to the world. First and foremost, the light of Jesus. Did you know at Super Bowl 2013, an interesting event took place during the game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens were leading the San Francisco 49ers 49, uh, 28 to 6 with 13 minutes left in the third quarter when suddenly the lights of the 73,000 seat stadium, New Orleans Superdome, went out. The biggest game of the year was halted for 34 minutes because of a power outage, plunging parts of the Superdome into darkness, leaving TV viewers with no football wondering what's going on. Escalators stopped working, credit card machines shut down, and the concourses were illuminated by small banks of lights tied into emergency services. The explanation was a piece of equipment that is designed to monitor electrical load automatically shut down the power because it was being overloaded. Some thought it was purposeful because the 49ers were being overloaded by the Ravens. And it's interesting that after the lights came back on, the 49ers scored two straight touchdowns and nearly pulled off a game-winning drive in the closing minutes. What's also interesting is that before this happened, the Niners endured two other power outages during a Monday night game the same year between the Pittsburgh Steelers, which the 49ers won 20-3. Now, I would never accuse the 49ers of, of causing a blackout in order to try to win a football game. I'm just saying, if the lights go out today, think about it. <laughs> now, the Chiefs certainly could beat the 49ers even in the dark, but that's... <laughs> but that's all you can really do in the dark, you know? Especially, you know, when, when you lose power in your house, suddenly you realize how much you are dependent upon light. You know, especially if there's no moon out and it's night, it can be very, very dark uh, in need of light. So you pull out your phone, right, and you turn on the flashlight in your phone, and it's a little light, but not much. Well, listen, in many ways, our world is in the same place right now. It's a very dark place, and even a little light would help. But sadly, our world is going to get darker before it gets brighter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 tells us that evil men and impostors will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this verse does speak of the evil men who claim to know Christ that will bring deception and darkness in the last days. But I think of the deception and the darkness that's already going on in our world today. We're seeing it. We're seeing it through artificial intelligence, AI. Perhaps you've heard, if you're a Chiefs fan, tied in Travis Kelsey's girlfriend, a girl named Teller Swift. Or Swift. I, I know who she is, but, but she's furious over the fact that someone took her picture and made an AI-generated fake nude image of her. She's considering legal action. Ricky Schroeder, child star of the 1970s uh, sitcom Silver Spoons and other movies, he's now a writer and he's a director and founder of the Real American Heroes Foundation, RAF. In response to what he sees as a lack of conservative values in the media, Raff has established the Council on Pornography Reform. On Friday, he posted an article that said he believes pornography generated by artificial intelligence is a dangerous road to go down. The 53-year-old said that some people claim it's not a crime to look at AI porn of underage children because there's potentially no victim, they said. 
he continues, I say that's wrong. It's a crime because the victim is the one who views it. The victim in our, is our society as they walk out into and interact with all of us, having, having them ingest AI porn. What makes AI so dangerous and deceptive is that it can take images and data from social media platforms and can create an individual's identity. These digital clones can be used to deceive others through fraudulent activities, online scams, phishing attacks, and even impersonation. So there's no end to the evil that it can cause. I think about some of the books that we have in our Springfield Public Schools that are outright pornographic literature that kids are reading. I think about how some parents today are are allowing their children to transition to the opposite sex. Young boys essentially being castrated because they want to identify as a woman. Listen, there is no denying that the darkness in this world is deep. It's a profound darkness. It's an ever-increasing darkness. It's a deep blackness. It's a spiritual black hole engulfing the world and into which the, the world plunges deeper and deeper all the time. Darkness is really described in four different ways. First, it represents depravity. It describes the human condition and sin. Secondly, it's deception, which speaks of the darkness of the mind, darkened in their understanding or blinded in their soul. Thirdly, it is clearly associated with death. The profound uh, darkness of death defines the spiritual condition of non-believing people, people outside of the kingdom of God. And then fourthly, finally, darkness is used to describe the destruction of hell, which is a place of blackness, a place of outer darkness, in which people are bound in chains of darkness and blackness forever. So darkness is depravity, deception, death, destruction, and hell. And it's all around us. That's it. God bless you guys. Have a great week. No. No. Listen, the world has always been dark. It was dark before our Lord came, and it's going to get darker still. But even though it's dark, there's still hope. Isaiah 9-2 tells us, speaking of Jesus, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's a prophecy of the arrival of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. God has shed his light of glory on the world in many ways, but never as definitively and as powerfully as when he sent his own son to this earth to be the redeemer of mankind. See, you see, the solution to the problem of darkness in our world is Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 12, 46, I have come as a light in the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And although it has been some 2,000 years since his arrival, millions of people have come to the light and have been redeemed by the light and now are a part of the light, having been transferred from darkness into light. That brings us to our second point, the light in us. First point was the light in Jesus. The second point is the light in us. Paul, Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord, Walk as children of light. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, having a relationship with Jesus Christ means that the life that he was and is is now reflected in us. And even though there's still darkness in our world, God has removed that darkness out of our lives and placed his light inside of us instead. Think about this. Paul says there in Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness. Not that you once walked in darkness. He says you were once 
darkness. No matter how morally good you lived, though you may have even been religious, apart from Jesus Christ, Jesus says, or Paul says, your life was darkness. There's no in-between. Your life wasn't dim. It was darkness. Before Jesus touched our lives, before we were born again, we were making our way through the dark like everyone else, not knowing anything different. In fact, even enjoying the darkness. Jesus put it this way in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation. The light has come into our world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's how we were. But praise God, a change has taken place. God has done that work in our lives. Paul explains this change so perfectly in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. God turned the light switch on in our life, so to speak, and for the first time we were able to see clearly, and the first person we saw is our Savior, Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the glory of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. We came face to face with Jesus. The Holy Spirit revealed the darkness we were living in. We realized we were sinners in needing of God's grace and forgiveness. We turned to Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and rose again, confessed our sins, surrendered our lives to him, and now we've moved from darkness to light. And as a result, it has totally changed the way that we view things today. I remember being a, a young child, and, and my mom would get me in bed, and she'd turn off the light and shut the door, and immediately I'd be looking in the corner of my room. And there was some wild animal, a lion, a tiger, a bear, something standing there, and I would just freeze, and I knew it was something. I mean, so I'd muster up enough courage, I'd get up and turn on the light, and it was my coat jacket hanging on the, on the dresser. See, once that light was turned on, the darkness fled. In the same way, as we look around our world, we have a, veer, a clearer view of things. The light has been turned on. And though it's dark out there, this is all a part of God's plan. And so we have to look at the world from a different view, from a biblical world view, to view everything through the eyes, through the lens of Scripture. You see, once we have the light of Jesus in us, he, he then governs our lives through his word leading us and guiding us. Psalm 119, verse 105 tells us, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So as we look to God's word, as we look around the world, we see things, we see things differently. Or at least we should. I think one of the biggest problems in the church today is people are not thinking biblically. They're thinking emotionally. They go with their opinion. Well, you know... Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. My, my opinion is this. Or, or you know, I, I don't know really how I feel about gay marriage. I think. Or you hear people say, oh, God, my God would never send anyone to hell for rejecting Jesus Christ. Or oh, I don't think God is really fair. It, it, it says this or that. Hold on. Wait a minute. That's not a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview means that you come to the Bible as your standard, as your basis, as your lighthouse, and you say, here is what the Bible says, therefore I think this and I think that. You say, I will only look at the things through the lens of Scripture. And yet, the only way we can do that is being in and studying the Word of God. But far too often, so many of us think with our emotions, and we think with our opinions, well, here's what I think, and, and this is how I feel. Here's what it comes down to. 
you have to come to the conclusion that God's word is perfect, that God's word is right. And if I don't agree with it, then I am wrong and it's right, not the other way around. It's not, well, you know, I think, no, you're wrong. It's right. And you're going to either accept it or you're going to reject it. My point is this. We, we have the light of Jesus in our lives. We have the light of his word to direct our lives. But the big question is, are we going to obey it? Are you willing to do what it says? If, if we've come from darkness to light, if Christ truly is in us, and when he shines his light on an area in our lives that he wants to work on, do we listen or do we shut off the light? It's kind of like your mom's when you open your kid's bedroom door and you see the mess that it's in. You turn on the light, you go, oh, man, did you just turn off the light and shut the door and walk away? Or do you get in there and then clean it up? You know, when I talk to people who are having marital problems, I often ask this question before we even begin. I'll ask them, do you, do you guys believe in the Bible? And they'll say, oh, sure, look, we even have our Bibles with us. Good. Do you believe every word of it? Do you believe it's inspired by God? Do you believe it's infallible? Oh, yeah, we do. See, I want to establish that foundation. And then we talk. And I say, well, the Bible says this about your marriage. And more often than not, I will hear, well, yeah, yeah, I know that. But you see, our situation is different. You don't understand. He did this or she did that. Now, hold on a second. You don't understand. You said you believe every word of the Bible. And here's what the Bible says about your marriage. So why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you living this way? And if you look at a person's life that is in trouble, you'll find it's pretty much the case all the way around. They've disregarded what the Bible says, and they're trying to do it on their own. But if we get a biblical worldview and govern our lives by the teaching of the Word of God, we will, as John says in 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So number one, the light of Jesus. Let's read John twelve forty six together. It's up on the screen. John twelve forty six. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. That's point number one. Point number two, the light in us. Let's read, read uh, Ephesians 5, 8 together. Ephesians 5, 8. For you once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This brings us to our third point, the light to the world. Look now at verse 33. Ah, let's read that one together too. Verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. See, Jesus is stating here that our, our ability to shine is all tied into what our focus is, what our passion is. You know, people are passionate about a lot of things, right? Especially this time of year. I mean, football, it, it's the thing we talk about. And you think about the soon-to-be Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and they're passionate about that. Did you know on any given Sunday in Arrowhead Stadium, it could be packed full with a seating capacity of 76,416 people sitting on hard seats, sometimes in below freezing temperatures, watching 22 grown men dressed in football pads hit each other, all while trying to get an oblong ball up and down a, a field. Maybe you've heard this illustration before. It goes like this. What if you held the same standard for a big football game that you do for the church? Well, I really don't want to go to the big game because every time I go, they ask me for money. 
The people with whom I had to sit with didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and not at all comfortable. How about this one? I went to many games, but the coach never said hi to me. The referee made a decision with which I could not agree. I suspected that I was sitting with some hypocrites that came to see their friends and what others were wearing rather than to see the game. Some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. I like this one. The band played some numbers that I'd never heard before. It seemed that the games were scheduled when I wanted to do other things. And finally, I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. Now, those reasons sound absurd when considered in light of a sporting event, but those are some of the very excuses people have for, for not being a part of a church. Imagine if you had the same passion about going to church as you did a large sporting event. Again, Jesus is stating here that our ability to shine is all tied to what our focus is, what our passion is. Are we passionate about Christ? Are we passionate about, passionate about winning souls for Christ? Are we passionate about, about fellowship, serving the Lord? Are we living our lives in such a way that the world around us knows that there's something different about us? Not just because you're weird and obnoxious, but because of your priorities, your outlook, and most importantly, your lifestyle. Scripture tells us that we should be different than this dark culture that we're living in. See, we as Christians, we're not supposed to remove ourselves from the culture in some kind of subculture on our own. This last Christmas, we bought our granddaughters these little pink and blue battery-operated lanterns, and they loved them. So they go in this little play closet we have up in our little playroom there, and they get in, and they shut the door, and they turn the light on and off, and they love it. I think that's how we can be as Christians sometimes. We would much rather gather in our closet we call church, shine the lights brightly, worshiping and praising God, talking about Jesus, the light of the world, and talking about shining the light in the darkness of the world, which is, world, which is great. But then we... Go out, shut the door, and walk away. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse, six, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God has given us his light to shine brightly. Not for people to say, oh, look at what a good person you are. But to say, oh, look what a great God that you serve. To glorify God. Well, look next at the warning that Jesus gives. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. It's been said that the, the eye is the gateway to the soul. Now, here's what's interesting about our light. Our Christian light is like the moon. The moon shines because it reflects the sun. The moon has no light in and of itself. It's merely a reflection of the sun. In the same way, the light that we shine is merely a reflection of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, God's only son. Now, in the same way, what causes the moonlight to diminish? What happens? It happens when the earth, when this world comes between the moon and the sun, and that's where we get a half moon, that's where we get a quarter moon, that's where we get a little sliver of a moon. When the world comes between the sun and the moon, it blocks the sunlight out and completely, so there's no reflection at all. When that happens, it's called a total eclipse. The light is totally blocked out. Listen, the same thing can be true for the believer. What causes our light to diminish? What causes blackouts? What causes us to not be the light of the world? It's when the world gets between us and the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus here says that your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. See, a single ambition to love and serve God will give your life meaning and purpose and direction. To know God, know his will, it'll give you purpose. But Jesus is also saying you can't be the light of the world if you're living in darkness. You can't be the light of the world if you keep turning it off when you go to work. If you keep you know, turning it off when you leave church. If you turn it off when you go home to be with your family. You can't be one way in church and one way somewhere else. David prayed, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, help me to have a clear focus to know where I'm going. Listen, when we are in the word, we're soaking in the sun, light from the world. Our eyes are wide open. We see things the way they are. We have a biblical worldview. We become a light to the world. But the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on the things of this world, darkness comes in. And it's not only going to affect your life, but it's going to affect others around you. That's why Jesus says in verse 35, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. That's an interesting verse. Think about it. When we trust Jesus Christ, our eyes are open, light shines in, and we become children of light. But for some, what happens after a while is they begin to keep one eye on the things of God and one eye on on the things of the world. Jesus says you can't do both. That makes you cross-eyed. You know, it's a warning that your mom said when you were a kid. Don't cross your eyes. They may stay that way, you know. And that's a danger. Pretty soon, the light will turn into darkness. Listen, there's no twilight living for the Christian. It's all or nothing. Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. I love it. If we are committed to Christ, if we are committed to his word, committed to walking in the light, our lives will reflect Jesus in a powerful way. Let me ask you this. If the time you spent in God's word and praying and and reaching the lost was, was powering the lights in your home, would your home be very bright? I mean, would, would you have just enough light that comes from a nightlight, about 10 watts? Not very bright. Only enough to light up the ground under you? Or would you have this 200 water lighting up your whole house? The fascinating thing that I see, uh, I read that when you increase the wattage on a bulb, you also need to increase the size of its base. You know, you think of the little base with the little nightlight, just a little small thing, a little, little bases. You know, have you ever seen the, have you seen the type of light bulbs used to, to light up the streets, the, the mercury incandescents? They have these huge bases. Why? Because it's sucking a lot of power to shine so bright. So I think the application here is pretty bright. We can really see this application. If you're going to walk in the church, and if all you're going to do is plug into a little base, and just get as little out of it as possible, then you're not going to shine very brightly. But if you come into the church and you sit your base down and you say, I'm going to get all I can get. And I'm going to shine as bright as I can uh, to love the Lord and his word and to love and serve one another. Then I'll tell you something. You're going to leave this church shining brightly. Absolutely. People say, where have you been? Why do you have such joy? Why are you shining so bright? Why? Because you've tapped into the power source. You made its base wider and deeper so that you can shine brighter. Let me ask you this question. What if everybody in the church behaved just as you do as a follower of Jesus Christ? What kind of world would we live in today? If every Christian was like you. 
How many would be attracted to or turned off to the message of the gospel? What kind of general opinion do you think people would have of Christianity if you were the sole representative? Listen, I'm not saying it's all on you or it's all on me. What I'm saying is that you and I are the only representatives of Jesus Christ that some non-believers are ever going to see. They may never read the Bible, but they will read your life. It's been actually said that Christians are walking epistles written by God and read by man. The point is, the church has the answers to the deepest questions of the world. The church has the solution to the world's greatest problems, to the darkness that's in the world. The church, of course, I mean true Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus. Listen, we as Christians, we know more about what's going on in this world than most people do. We have the light of God's word to tell us how this world is going to be just prior to Jesus' return. We know how it's going to end. But I think by far the problem, once again, in this particular illustration, is that we've lost the sight of, of how important and how powerful this light can be. We've kind of come accustomed to it. We take for granted the light that we have in this day and age in which we live. You know, when you came into church this morning, you know, the, the lights were on. Of course, we need them on to read our Bibles. But go back a couple thousand years when Jesus was doing this teaching, it was a lot harder to get light to read. In those days, not like today, you just didn't go into a room and light it for the, the sake of ambiance. Let's turn the light on in the corner. Look how pretty it looks. No, you lit it for a specific purpose. You lit a room for to, to write or read or talk or get together to study. Listen, we are called to be the light with a purpose. A purpose to see people come to Christ. Now here's the deal. When you're truly living for Jesus Christ, your very presence is going to bother others because you're reflecting the light of Jesus in a very dark world. You're not doing anything but living for Jesus, and as a result, people are going to freak out. Listen, don't let that bother you. Jesus said it would be this way. Again, John verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. We live in a world that's comfortable with darkness. They've become accustomed to the dark. And when we come walking up, whistling, praising God, singing, they're going to, man, you're just too bright. It's too bright. Go away. It's like the story that's told of a castle-like prison in Paris known as a Bastille that was to be destroyed in 1789. There was a prisoner who had been there confined in a dark, dingy dungeon for many years. He was brought out, but instead of welcoming his newfound freedom as he stood in the brilliant sunshine, he begged to take him back into the prison again because his eyes could not endure the brightness of the sun. His only desire was to die in the murky dungeon where he had been captive. And that's how a lot of people are today. They want to keep on living in darkness. And Jesus tells us the reason people don't believe it is they don't want their sin exposed. They don't want the light of Jesus shining in their eyes. Let me tell you this. The godlier you are, the more irritating your life will be to the non-believer. Fewer things are harder to put up with than a good example. And when you really live for Jesus, it gets the attention of people around you. It amazes me, it's interesting to me, that when C.J. Stroud, he's a quarterback for the Houston Texans, was interviewed after his playoff win, he gave all glory to God. And he's testifying about Jesus Christ and his life, his relationship with Jesus Christ. And when they aired it on NBC, they cut it all out. It was gone. 
Now, this is interesting. When asked about it, he said this. I'm not angry about it. I wish that it wasn't that. But, you know, I pray for people. There's a lot of darkness in this world. I think God has called us to really just be a light to one another and just show love. CJ gets it. I like that. Yeah, there's darkness. We need to be the light. Now, over Matthew's gospel, the same account, Matthew mentioned Jesus telling us, yeah, we are the light of the world, but he also says this. Look at Matthew five thirteen and 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. I bring this up because it's an interesting phrase that is used there. It's the emphasis on the word you. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So, but, but you know, I, I, I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a talented communicator. Listen, when it comes to reaching the lost, even a little light goes a long way. You know, even a little bit of salt, you know, changes the, the otherwise bland meal that you're eating. But sadly, in our culture today, people would rather keep us silent. Right? And then to add injury to insult, they, 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 they have the, the audacity to blame us, for Christ, as, us as Christians for all that's going wrong in our society, in our culture. When you have a culture that's calling good evil and evil good, it means that they are out to get you. They are out to get us. They're out to blame us Christians for all the wrong that's in our culture today. Have you noticed lately that we as Christians are the scapegoat? How dare you speak out against the LGBTQ? You Christians are all racist. How dare you speak out against same-sex marriage? You Christians are all homophobic. How dare you speak out against abortion? You Christians want to take away our free choice. How dare you speak out against being woke or critical race theory? You Christians, it's you Christians that are so racist. We speak out against it because it's in God's Word. God's Word speaks out against it. I think of it like, like a, a, when Nero burned down Rome. And he blamed the Christians for it. Our culture is burning down. And people are blaming us when in reality, we are not the problem. We have the solution. We have the answer. If they would just listen, they'd find out what it is. I mean, think about this. Everybody will stand up for their own rights. But the minute the Christian says, well, the Bible says, and man, it's, it's open season to, to mock and, and, and deride the Christian. And they say, well, that's okay, because the Christians, they're responsible for all our problems. Mind you, the story of, of when that drought came upon Israel because of the wickedness of King Ahab and Jezebel and the people. Remember that the prophet uh, Elijah walked into the, to the court of the king and said, it's not going to rain according to my word. And sure enough, the rain stopped. It stopped because of the wickedness of the king. Elijah merely told the king why it was happening. And as the drought continued on and the people were thirsty and desperate, the king saw Elijah one day and said, Is that you, Elijah, O troubler of Israel? And I love what Elijah prophesied. He said, well, What are you talking about? He's already said, What are you talking about? I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed false gods. Same thing that happens in our culture today. You Christians, with your narrow-minded approach to life, are the ones responsible for this. Your, your, your puritanical ways, you, you want to restrict our freedom. You want to ruin everything. It's all because they're living in darkness. And so when God calls us to be the light, it's going to shine in their faces. And when God calls us to be salt, it's going to have an effect on their lives. 
No, when Jesus said you are the salt of, of the earth, the, the primary use of salt at that time in the culture was for, for preservation. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers back then. What they would do is they would cut their meat in their strips. They would soak it, the meat in a salt solution, and that would keep the meat from rotting so they can eat it in the days ahead. In the same way, folks, our culture is rotting. But we as Christians, we're the salt of the earth. We're actually stopping the rotting process, or at least slowing it down. The Holy Spirit, working through the lives of believers like you and me, are the preserving influence in this world. But listen, once Jesus calls his church home to heaven, which Pastor Bruce is going to talk about on Wednesday, when we're raptured, when we meet the Lord in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord, Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Once that happens, all hell is going to break loose upon this earth. Tribulation period will start, launched by the entrance of that evil, sinister character known as the Antichrist. In describing this, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The only thing that's stopping this world right now from going down in flames is the working of the Holy Spirit and the lives of Christian, uh, committed Christians. Again, we are being used as that preservative, stopping the, the rotting process once we're gone. I mean, it's, it's going to run its course. So how much time do we have left? What are we doing with the time that we have left? Are we being salt? Are we being light? Isn't it interesting in Matthew 5, Jesus says that we are, are the salt of the earth, and then he says we are, are, are the light in that particular order. See, first, we, we have salt. Before you can effectively be light, you need to be salt. Salt, what does it do? It stimulates thirst. When you're a salty Christian, you'll make others thirsty for the Lord. But by living it, you're in a right to proclaim it. Problem is, we have a lot of Christians today who are salt without being light. In other words, they live it, they're godly people, they're great examples, but they never tell anybody about their faith in Jesus. I just believe in lifestyle evangelism. I believe they'll see my example and somehow figure out what I believe. No, you need to talk to them. Then the others, on the other side of the coin, it's probably worse, who are light without being salt. They talked about everybody about the light, but they don't live it. They contradict it. The, the, the conclusion is, the point is we need to be both salt and light. I think the greatest compliment that can be paid to a Christian is when someone comes up to you, an unbeliever, and says, I don't know what you believe, but I've been watching you, and I've been seeing something different in your life. It's something special. You have this, this joy that I've just never seen in a person before. Whatever it is, I want it. You, know, you tell me what you believe. What a great open door to say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me say this again. The only thing that is stopping this world from going down in flames is the presence of the Holy Spirit working through the lives of committed Christians. And as the Holy Spirit is working and moving in our lives, he's using us to be that preservative, to, to, to slow down that rotting process. Once we're gone, it's going to run its course. Until that day, we need to do all that we can to be that salt, to be that light. Listen, as we close, being the salt and being the light first and foremost means sharing the gospel. 
But secondly, it means doing everything we can to come against the forces of darkness. Speaking out against the evil in our country. But it also means getting involved and doing everything we can to elect godly candidates for our government leadership, for our school boards, men and women who hold fast to the word of God. We need to go out and find those candidates that stand on issues and vote for the ones that are committed to following the word of God. So important in these days that we live to to let our voices heard and speak out and pray against those who are trying to come up with petitions that, that would allow abortion up to the moment of birth. Now, we have an election coming up. We need to register. We need to vote, every single one of us. And that's why we actually have voter registration cards in the back. It is my opinion for Christians to not register to vote is absolutely unacceptable. We have got to get out there and do what we can before the Lord takes us home. Now, my prayer that before that happens, we would see one more great revival in America. But listen, our, our nation is not going to turn around morally on its own. Politics is not going to bring a solution to our problems. The world is getting darker and getting, and getting darker. Man cannot fix this. Technology can't fix it. Philosophy is not going to fix this. Donald Trump is not going to fix it. The only thing that can turn America around is a spiritual awakening, a revival. A.W. Tozer said, Revival is that which affects the moral climate of a community. How we need that. How we need to be praying for that until the day Jesus comes and takes us home, either via death or the rapture, we need to do all that we can to be the salt and to be the light. Listen, as we close, there might be some of you here that are living in darkness. You don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Let me read to you our seal and our bulletin. Maybe you took a look at it. C.H. Spurgeon writes, Let us never forget that light must first be imparted to us or can never go forth from us. We are not lights of the world by nature. At best we are but lamps until unlit until the Spirit of God comes. Inquire therefore, my hearer, of thyself, whether God has ever kindled thee by the flame of his Spirit. In other words, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? Listen, I talked about the Lord coming back again. You don't know, you, would you be ready if Christ were to come back, were to come back today? I mentioned the tribulation period that will come upon this world. As we look at the signs and the times of that happening, we realize it is close. Folks, the world is getting darker and darker, but God has made a way out of that darkness. First, you need to recognize you are a sinner. That there's nothing you can do to fix your situation. A little morality isn't going to fix it. Some re- religion isn't going to fix it. You need God. You need Christ who died on the cross for your sin, paid the price for every wrong thing you've ever done in your life. He rose again from the dead, and he stands at the door of your heart, And he knocks and he says, if you open the door, if you hear his voice, he will come in. Jesus Christ can forgive you of every sin you've ever committed if you'll turn to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent of my sin. I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. Now, if you don't Christ this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we have, Lord, to be that light in this dark world. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have. That you have all this world planned out, Lord, and it's going to be very soon before you take us home. So we ask for that special infilling of your Holy Spirit to be that light in this dark world, to live for you wholeheartedly, Lord. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their life to you, Lord, they've been trapped in the darkness of sin and death, Lord. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit touches their hearts, 
And they turn from, from their sin and turn to you today. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again this morning. You want to have your sin forgiven. You want to have the hope of, 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 of the afterlife, of living with Jesus. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? I want to give you that opportunity. If you're watching online, I pray that if you don't know Christ, that you would make that decision for him this morning as well. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I give my life to you today. I surrender to you. Forgive me. You say that prayer, God will come into your life. He will heal you. He will forgive you. He will do that work in your life. So, Father, we thank you for this time we've spent together in your word. We pray, Lord, as we walk out the door, Lord, that we would live what we've learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.